0: Thank you for having me back. It's always an honour to be invited back. There are three things that you can speak about, which will, or well, probably four. It's a bit like the Old Testament, isn't there? Three things, even four, that will make Christians feel bad. Um, you can speak about evangelism. You can speak about prayer. You can speak about giving, and you could probably add reading the Bible as well. I'm gonna speak about one of these, not to make you feel bad, but in a sense out of my own weakness, trusting that you will find it helpful and encouraging. I became a Christian in 1974 at the age of 17. That's got those of you who are maths people working. I joined a wonderful church in North London that set the trajectory for the rest of my life. And in that church, I was taught Get baptized, read your Bible, pray, come to church, give a tenth of your income, and witness to people. But I was never really taught how. Um, And there was a bit of a mystery about prayer, because we were in it was a real missionary church, the church we were in, and we had these people who, at a prayer meeting, they could pray for half an hour, and they would pray all the way around the world, and you'd be standing, sitting there, thinking. My goodness, I'll never be able to do that, and I still can't do that. But um, how to pray dogged me for years. It's not that I didn't, but I'm I'm sure none of you are like this, but I would get distracted, um, or I'd focus on the wrong things, or I'd fall asleep, and and so on. Um, Now, I'm sure none of you here are like this, but then I spoke with other people who'd been Christians for a long time, and I discovered they were in the same boat. So today we're not going to look at a technique for praying, you've come to the wrong person if you want that, but I'm going to look briefly today at how Jesus taught us to pray. Because I think we've made this far more complicated than it needs to be. I, we used to be in a church where a prayer meeting consisted of shouting at the devil for two hours and I'm still not convinced that ever did any good. It might have done some good, but it's just not what Jesus taught us to do. So I'm not guaranteeing that if you go away and do this afterwards, you'll get all the answers you want. But I am convinced that we can enrich our prayer lives and the rest of our lives by heeding what Jesus taught. When I was studying, um, uh, it's about (coughs) 13 years ago now. I took an intensive Greek course, and we were able to get three bonus marks in our exam if we learn off by heart the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Um, so I thought, yep, yeah, 3% in the exam, that's worth it. Um, so I learnt the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer off by heart. They didn't tell us it was three marks in a 300 mark exam. <laughs> so it only got me one point, uh, 1%. But it set me, over, set me thinking about this prayer again and pondering over it. Actually, in many ways, all the while I was studying, the best thing I did was learning that, that bit of the Lord's Prayer because it's still in here and it still comes out at times. Now, the Lord's Prayer occurs in two places in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 11, and, but we're not going to go there, um, And in Matthew chapter 6, which is where I'm going to focus. The Luke 11 version is shorter, more condensed. Um, But we're going to look at the Matthew 6 version. So if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus leads into a section of teaching about not doing outwardly spiritual things to be seen and noticed by others. But to maintain a Godward emphasis. He starts with giving to the needy, he then, in this section we'll be looking at, covers prayer, then he goes on to talk about fasting, and each of them, just to hang on a hook on your head, when he talks about them, he says, when you, not if you, so, but I'm not going to go there. So, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to read Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. Shall I move over slightly, Um, so that... I'm not blocking anybody. Um, This is what Jesus said. He said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others or to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then... Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. will not forgive your sins. Some years ago, I started using this prayer to guide my own praying, uh, and I have found that I've been built up by doing so. Um, uh, This week, we've been away for the week, um, and we had a slightly frustrating experience, because where we were, we were entirely reliant on mobile data and mobile phone and mobile internet and there were things that we needed to get done and emails that needed to be sent. But the mast near where we were was down. Wasn't working, hardly any signal. We were on the Isle of Wight, so occasionally a signal would come through from the mainland if you went up a hill. And when we drove off to the other end of the island, there was a signal. And as I've been thinking the last few days, I got quite cross about it. I went into the Vodafone shop and really told them what I thought about it. But it struck me that actually it was almost a a kind of um, metaphor for my prayer life. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes the signal's fantastic. You really feel you're getting through and God's hearing you. And there are other times when you think, is the mast down? Um, And I just, what I've found with the Lord's Prayer is at those times when the signal is faint or the mast is down, um, it's actually a way that helps me to pray and helps me to posture myself well. I'll talk more about that in a moment. It's not something I recite. I grew up, in, as some of us with grey hair probably did, in a school where every morning in assembly we would say the Lord's Prayer using 17th century language, but we would pray it at breakneck speed because we had to get the Amen in before the bell went. Um, LAUGHTER and I actually did a thing for one of the churches together in Tadley a little while ago where I said, I'm going to give you back the Lord's Prayer this morning, but we're going to pray it slowly. Um, and they could not cope with praying it slowly. People who pray it every day or every week could really struggled with praying it slowly. So it's not something I recite, but I use it as a, as a way of leading through, or being led through how I pray. I think it sets our posture as it as as we come before God, and I'll exp- that's what I'll probably explain as we go through. I don't think it's something we're supposed to rigidly follow as a pattern. Um, so I, it, I think it postures us in the way we come before God. And Now, our aversion to formal liturgy means that we've lost something by not using this prayer. We've lost something, I think, by not learning it off by heart. I'm in many ways grateful to God that I did have to learn it off by heart as a child. It's not something we pray in a rush like we did at school, but we pray through it slowly, dwelling on, on what we're praying. Now, we have no record of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to preach. We have no record of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to cast out demons. There's an occasion when they ask him, why didn't it? But we don't hear about them asking him to heal the, teach them how to heal the sick or raise the dead. Only, according to the version in Luke's Gospel, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? I think it's probably because they recognised that everything else about Jesus started with his... Prayer life. Um, we do have two different accounts. There's the Matthew account and the Luke account. There are differences between them. Some people see that as a problem. If you do, go to David's group. Um, I don't actually see it as a problem. I think Jesus, I, I can remember once hearing a speaker teaching on the same thing twice in two different places, two different countries, actually, uh, no, two different ends of the country. Um, It was about integrity about 30 years ago, and he used different illustrations and different words, but it was the same message. His name was Coombs, by the way, and I'm sure he'd be delighted if he knew that I still remember what he taught on integrity 30 years ago. But the same thing's happening here with this prayer. I would find it surprising, actually, if Jesus didn't teach on prayer on more than one occasion. So... According to my Greek grammar, um, and according to the English words in here pretty much, Jesus is saying, make it your habit to pray like this. And it's the one command of Jesus's that we completely ignore, isn't it? How often do we hear people pray like this? How often do I pray like this? We am going to make some general observations about the Lord's Prayer, then we'll walk through it, and then at the end we will pray it. Uh, that's, that's the plan for this morning. I'm not going to mess with your minds, it's not complicated, it's not difficult. It's all very, very simple today. Uh, I'm really relieved, actually, because the last two times I've been asked to teach in Tadley over the last few months, the first time I had to deal with mourning, after we'd had three deaths in a very short space of time, and the, then the, the last occasion, a few weeks ago, I had to speak on, from the Sermon on the Mount on adultery, murder and divorce. <laughs> so th- this, is, this is wonderful. Um, so this prayer consists of six petitions, which kind of divide into two sets of three. The first three relate to God. Um, And in each of those first three, the pronoun, a pronoun is a word for a person, is your. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And then the second three relate to us. Um, It's give us our daily bread, um, our debts or sins, and our temptation. It uses imperatives in, in the strongest, in Greek, an imperative is a really strong way of giving someone a commandment. And the first five petitions all use really strong imperatives. For those of you who like grammar, those who don't, don't worry about it. But actually, this is ver- a very forceful prayer. It's not just, Lord, it would be so good if. Um, it's, Lord, do this, do that, do the other. Um, so. Uh, I had someone in Tadley who got very cross with me about us when, we, when you pray. It's like you're giving God orders. Well, actually, that's what Jesus taught us to do. Um, the sixth is milder for those of you who are into grammar; it's a subjunctive, but we're not going to worry about that. The Lord's Prayer, Darrell Johnson says, encompasses the whole of the whole of life, the universe, and everything. Um, it's just global in nature when you actually get into what the words say. So it starts with, um, I don't think I know, no I don't. It starts with our Father in heaven. When I pray our Father in heaven, it reminds me, I'm not just ringing God's doorbell to let him know that I'm praying. It's, we can You know, you you often hear, I I don't want to offend anybody here, but very often if you're in a prayer gathering, someone will say, dear loving Heavenly Father, and you think, that's a bit like ringing God's doorbell, isn't it? Um, Actually, when we say Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, we are recognising that there is a good Father at the centre of the universe, at the control room of the heavens. It's not just a mailing address, but it's a statement that puts us firmly in a place of being God's children, knowing him as a good father. A good father who loves his people and his creation. A father who is ruling and reigning. The fatherhood of God wraps the whole of the rest of the Lord's Prayer. We pray the rest of it because we know God as Father. So the first three petitions, on earth as it, uh, sorry, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. The, the on earth as in heaven grammatically applies to each of those three, according to the commentators I trust and um, someone who used to teach me. So. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I I think it does, having looked at it fairly carefully. In fact, I'm convinced that it does. So when we pray these three petitions, we're praying, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we're praying your will be done, we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That um, statement, or that on earth as it is in heaven, covers all three of them. So hallowed be your name, I think in the 40 odd years I worked in business, I think I only ever once came across the word hallowed. It's not the word that crops up in the shops, the hospital, the doctor's surgery, um, the factory, the fields, wherever you happen to work at school. Um, the only time I ever heard it, I think, was when someone was referring to head office as the hallowed halls. Um, <laughs> it was when I used to work for p who had a head office in, um, on Pall Mall. Um, but we live in a world where God's name is not hallowed. Christians can be very excited about people using God's name wrongly, um, or as a swear word, but hallowed be your name means something very different. Uh, different from that and much bigger than that. God's name is hallowed when people speak of his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his justice and his love, when they honour his works in creation and when they glorify him. Um, There are two key words in this petition. By petition I'm just referring to each of these kind of three requests, petition's requests. We'll start with name and then we'll look at hallowed. We'll just try and pull out a bit more what hallowed actually means. But in the ancient world, name didn't just mean what was written on your birth certificate or what you were called. You didn't have a birth certificate, but, or what you were called. It meant far more than that. It encompassed everything that you were. Uh, in a world with no credit checks, no databases or phone books, or church, sweet, your name meant far more than it does today. It's something we've actually lost in our world. Businesses no longer know their customers except as a number on a loyalty card, um, which is very different from when I got sent to the shop as a kid. When I got sent up to the shops as a kid, I didn't dare ask for cigarettes or anything. Why? Because they knew me. Um, They didn't just know my name, but they knew who I was as well. And they knew who my father was. And that actually probably kept me on the straight and narrow at times when I was was younger. But God's name is not just God or I am or the Lord. It's actually all of those. But it encompasses everything that God is. It's his reputation, his character, and who he is. Um, it changes the way, by the it changes the nature. By the way, uh, by I can't even speak straight. It changes, by the way, the nature of praying in Jesus' name. When we say in Jesus' name, which again we can use like the greeting at the end of an email, can't we? Um, but actually, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're coming before the Father, and we're saying and we're praying this because we are in Jesus. When you see us, you see Jesus. Uh, and we are coming on the basis of who you've made us in your son Jesus and who he is. Um, doing something in someone's name is is far more in the Bible than than we get nowadays. I mean, I, I used to work as an internal auditor uh, and I was actually allowed in the name of our bosses to do pretty much anything if I felt that something was wrong. Uh, one of the tricks I used to pull was if I was dealing with a very senior manager who was being a bit pompous, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act used to require you to caution someone the moment you knew that, um, or the moment you suspected that a crime had been committed. So if I had a senior manager who wasn't cooperating with me, I used to say to him, Mr. Smith, I have to warn you, you do not have to say anything, but anything you do say will be taken down and may be used in evidence against you, and that used to really rattle them. I used to, I used to love doing that, but um, I probably need to repent of it. But, but name encompasses far more than just a, something on a birth certificate or a driving license. It encompasses everything about who that person is. So when, when we're saying, hello, be your name... We're not just worried about whether people use God's name badly. What we're concerned with is his name, his whole nature, who he is, being hallowed, being honoured, being set apart as holy. I've given away some of the next bit now. So we'll talk about being hallowed. When we, It's not a word we come across very often, as I've said. It literally means be holified. That's what the, the word that lies underneath it is. Be holified. Um, but it's translated in the New Testament, in the other places where it occurs. It's not translated as hallowed, which is a bit strange, really. But it's that in 1 John, for instance, where it says, Sanctify them in the truth. It's the word that is used as hallowed. Um, Uh, and then in 1 Peter where it talks about setting your in your heart, set Christ apart as Lord, that set apart is the same word, hallowed or hallow. Um, And in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, where he talks to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. So usually in the New Testament, the word that's translated hallowed here means holify, if you like, or make holy or sanctify. So the word hallowed means set apart, honoured, magnified, exalted, respected. And when I pray, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven, then I'm praying that God's reputation will be honoured, will be respected, will be praised and exalted here as it is in his heavenly kingdom. Think of the heavenly worship in Revelation 4, verses 8 to 11. That's the kind of picture of how God's name is hallowed in heaven. Uh, And when we pray, hallowed be your name on earth as in heaven, we're praying for that to happen here. We're praying for the heavenly worship to be happening here. So when we pray it, we're praying for God to be honoured there here, just as in his heavenly kingdom. We're not primarily praying that his name won't be used as a swear word any longer. I hate it when people use his name as a swear word, but that's not what this is about. But we are praying that he'll be known, honoured, treated as holy and praised here as in his heavenly kingdom. There's also the deeper sense that God's name can only be hallowed if it's made known first. So when I pray for it to be hallowed, I am also praying for it to be made known. And when I pray this prayer myself, I use this petition to pray specifically about those situations where the name of the Lord's not hallowed or known. Now, I'm gonna go very quickly through the rest. Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. The Christian faith's based on the idea that the kingdom of God's ever growing, moving towards a point in history where the rule of God will be visible and real throughout the earth or throughout creation and when we pray your kingdom come on earth as in heaven that's what we're praying we're praying for God's rule and reign to be happening here just as it happens in heaven i'm going to skip this bit um It's not purely otherworldly. We are praying for the joining of God's heavenly kingdom with his earthly kingdom. We're praying for the two to come together. We're not praying for God to get us out of here. Uh, I'm going to skip Tom Wright. Um, So God's kingdom comes when we right a wrong, when someone comes to know God, when justice is resisted, sorry, injustice is resisted, or the poor or the oppressed are helped. It's the most aggressive thing you can possibly pray. I just wish I'd realised that when we used to spend hours praying against the devil. Because actually, your kingdom come is the most militant, aggressive thing you can possibly pray, I would suggest. It was always God's plan for his kingdom to fill the whole earth. And I am putting myself in a position where God might well call me to become part of the answer to what I pray. Your will be done on earth as it sorry, I'm yeah, I need to click through them. Your whoops I've gone too far now. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray for that, we're surrendering ourselves to God's purposes and plans. We're not fatalistically praying, whatever, you know. Your will be done, the big cop-out in, in prayer sometimes, but we're actively stepping into God's will for those around us and for our own lives. When I pray this one, I consider situations around me and in the world where God's will needs to be done. It should come with a health warning. It is a dangerous thing to pray because, uh, once again, you, you might be the answer to what you're praying. Now, notice... We've gone through the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and there has not yet been an opportunity to pray for that new car, new house, lottery win, Caribbean holiday, better job, whatever it might be. It's an effective antidote to prosperity preaching and me-centred praying. Give us today our daily bread. Um, There's all sorts of stuff about the translation of this that I'm not going into, but. It evokes a previous occasion in Scripture when people get one fed one day at a time, where they've got the manna in the Old Testament each morning in the wilderness. In the previous petition, we submitted ourselves to God's will. In this one, we submit ourselves to God's provision. We are acknowledging that God is the one who provides for us. It doesn't say, give me, by the way, it says, give us. And it only means today, not every day. You're supposed to pray it every day. Jesus has told him to go away and pray this privately. So his use of us suggests he intends us to pray, not just for our own provision, but for our brothers and sisters. It can mean food, clothing, shelter, water, employment, health, or whatever. And when I pray it, I'm acknowledging that God is my provider. That I need to come to him day by day, recognizing that he's my provider and asking him to sustain me again today. Still no opportunity to pray for the lottery win. Forgive us our debts. Sorry, I've flipped on. As we also have forgiven our debtors. There's a difference between Luke and Matthew here. Luke has sins, Matthew has debts. Um, and I'm quite happy to, if you want to talk to me about why there's a difference, I'm quite happy to, but um, The word that would have been used in Aramaic encumbered both debts, obligations, and sins. I was always told that I had to confess my sin before praying for anything. Um, But actually here, Jesus puts dealing with sin quite a way down the list, doesn't he? Um, You can actually come to God whatever you've done wrong, and you can come to God now whatever you've done wrong. You don't have to go through any particular process. It will involve dealing with it later, but anyone can come to God, whatever they've done wrong. And we are speaking out our dependence when we pray this on God's grace and his forgiveness. As we've also forgiven our debtors, the sting in the tail of that one. Um, Jesus then says that we are required to forgive our sin, those who sin against us, if we are to know forgiveness. And finally, lead us into temptation, deliver us not from, or don't deliver us, sorry, and do deliver us from the evil one. Um, The translation of this is a bit controversial, but I'm not going to go into it. I'm happy with the way the NIV translates it. I think it does refer to the evil one, not to evil in general, in an abstract sense. And when we're praying this, we're recognising that God goes before us in everything we do. We are trusting our Father to keep us from the evil one. We're trusting him to walk us through the trials and difficulties of life without the evil one being allowed to turn them into temptations to forsake God. So, of course, we can pray for other things. And we pray out of relationship with our Heavenly Father who's abundant and gracious. But this prayer leads us to pray in a very different way from the storming the gates of heaven or the I'm-so-humble approach that some people take. Why use the Lord's Prayer? It's because Jesus told us to. That, I think, is an extremely good reason to use the Lord's Prayer. By praying these petitions in this way, I'm aligning myself with God's purpose for this world, his will for the nations, this nation and my locality. It can help us to pray in line with God's priorities, not our own. It forces us to recognize our dependence on God for everything. Um, how or whether you use it is up to you. But I can testify that it's improved my own prayer life over the years. Um, but do try praying Jesus' way and allow it to shape how you pray. We need to give attention to this prayer and this way of praying because it's how the most effective prayer in history taught us to pray. So I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. Um, I'm going to put the Anglican version up here. This is the modern version that's used in Anglican churches. Um, uh, And can we just pray this slowly? I've overrun, so we won't pray it too slowly. But um, we will pray it slowly, uh, So I'll set the pace, if that's okay. Those of you who come from more liturgical backgrounds will find this an immensely frustrating experience. But let's just dwell on what it is that we're praying as we pray it, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven.